Dennis Hope has spent 27 years in solitary confinement in a Texas prison, in a cell that is nine feet long and six feet wide, smaller than a compact parking space. It's three steps to the door and then turn around and three steps back. Mr. Hope, who is 53 years old, wrote in a recent letter to his lawyers. His only human contact is with the guards who strip search and handcuff him before taking him to another enclosure to exercise alone for one hour each day. He has had one personal phone call since 1994, when his mother died in 2013. He suffers from depression and paranoia and fears he's going insane. While Dennis Hope's story demonstrates the negative effects of isolation and solitude in a dramatic fashion, everyday loneliness, especially among men, doesn't get talked about often enough. According to a 2019 article in Forbes magazine, nearly half of Americans always or sometimes feel alone, 46%, or left out, 47%. 54% said they always or sometimes feel no one knows them well. Recently, scientists and medical researchers have made the alarming discovery that loneliness has the same negative impact on a person's health and well-being as smoking and obesity. Loneliness can lead to psychiatric disorders like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and even hallucinations. Lonely individuals have a 26% higher risk of dying early. Loneliness rates are only going up. There are some very logical sociological explanations for this disturbing trend. In the U.S., up until the 1960s, single-person households were quite rare. But over the last 50 years, the share of U.S. households consisting of only one person has more than doubled. During the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 through 2022, more and more people moved from working in person to going purely remote, and social engagement for many moves strictly to online platforms. Less people are meeting new friends in person and engaging in face-to-face community than almost ever before. Many are choosing to live in a state of perpetual social isolation, only finding community and friendship with their immediate family or spouse, pets, online gaming friends, and interactions on social media. While some loneliness can be directly attributed to social isolation and a lack of face-to-face community engagement, other people are socially connected in their workplace and are constantly surrounded by others, but they still feel alone. Men in particular report that they feel like no one knows them well. Recent research has revealed that men struggle more so than women at creating and maintaining genuine friendships. One survey revealed that almost half, 44%, of men said they were usually lonely, and further research found that most men feel emotionally closer to their dogs than other human beings. Unknown, alone, and isolated. Three words that describe the modern man. It shouldn't shock us too much that loneliness and isolation have a devastating effect on us emotionally, mentally, and even physically. Our Creator has something to say in His Word about this. It is not good for the man to be alone. Genesis 2.18 Human beings were not created by God to live for 27 years in solitary confinement in cells that are 9 feet long and 6 feet wide. Neither were they made to live in virtual cells of social isolation made possible by an artificial, purely online world. Or self-imposed cells of emotional and relational isolation created for fear of others getting too close and not liking what they see. 
Loneliness and isolation are both not good for us. In fact, they will destroy us. Welcome to the Committed Masculinity Podcast, a limited series that explores the issues and challenges facing Christian men who are serious about Jesus' invitation to be a disciple. On each episode of the series, we will review the content of each chapter of the book, Committed, Biblical Masculinity, and then discuss the issues of each episode with a special guest. On today's episode, chapter eight, Pursue Brotherhood, Isolationism, and Why Men Are So Terrible at Having Friends. With special guests, some of my very best friends, Gabe Rutledge and Ryan Brulette. The mythology of rugged individualism. Some of us grew up watching and adoring the masculine characters in movies, TV shows, comic books that displayed a type of solitary individualism that just seemed, well, manly. John Rambo in the movie First Blood just wants to be left alone. And since nobody will respect that, he ends up shooting and blowing up literally everything in five movies at that, in a glorious display of macho 80s masculinity. James Bond works alone. He travels the globe as 007 driving the coolest cars, betting the hottest women, and shooting the coolest guns. But you never see him going home to family or opening up emotionally to a genuine friend over a beer. He's James freaking Bond. He works alone. From action flicks to cowboy movies to comic book superheroes, there's a common mythology surrounding how a real man is to interact with those around him. He works best alone. He doesn't need anybody. He deals with his enemies, problems, heartaches, frustrations, and vices on his own. When women get too close, he leaves them. When a buddy gets too close, that buddy usually gets shot or stabs him in the back. So he works alone. But listen again to the words of your creator, the architect of all human life and the very concept of masculinity. It is not good for the man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. Proverbs 18.1. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. Ecclesiastes 4.9. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Philippians 2.4. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more, as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10, 24-25. God has designed you as a man to live in community, not isolation. He has created you to be known, loved, and valued in real face-to-face -face human relationships for who you really are not for who you want other people to perceive you as. But let's be honest, that's easier said than done. We have a very hard time as men creating, cultivating, 
and maintaining genuine friendships and community. Most of us know that we truly need that, and many of us will admit that we actually want that, but we don't know how. We don't even know where to start. Why men are so terrible at having friends. So why do guys struggle so hard at making real friends? Over the years, I've had similar conversations with several ladies from our church that come to me on behalf of their husbands. They're deeply concerned because their husband doesn't seem to have friends, and he doesn't seem to care that he doesn't have friends. Others tell me that their husband says he has friends, but in reality, he has coworkers that he has to spend time around because they work together, or he has some friends he grew up with that he hasn't spent meaningful time around in years. The wife is concerned, the husband indifferent. The wife keeps trying to set her man up on husband playdates by suggesting he go hang out with another guy who's married to one of her friends, and he keeps making excuses for why he can't. She's concerned. Did she marry a sociopath? Well, it is true that a lot of men don't have friends, and that's a problem. One of the things I try to help these concerned wives understand is that friendship for men just looks different than it does for women. And that's okay. Her husband might need to get out of his comfort zone and make a friend, but it's just not going to look the same for men as it might look for her. As men, we tend to hang out in groups, whereas women tend to favor interactions that are more one-on-one. For a lot of guys, the thought of meeting up with another man for coffee just to talk doesn't sound like a lot of fun at all. But getting together with a group of guys to watch a game or sit around a bonfire is an easier sell. As men, we tend to bond better through shared activities, whereas women connect more easily through conversations. Men tend to make friends and share things about themselves with other men over time through doing things together. That's why a lot of guys socialize with other men through playing sports, working on projects, watching movies, exercising, backpacking, hunting, or sharing another hobby or interest. I also think that our generation's heavy reliance on online and digital socialization has been harder on men than women. In general, women find it easier to express their emotions through words and written language than many of us as men. So when most of our social interaction happens through text, social media platforms, and even email, men have just found it more difficult to connect relationally. Guys struggle to make guy friends because it often feels awkward, uncomfortable, silly, and unnatural to spill their guts, say what they're thinking, and connect relationally with other guys in an environment that seems, well, forced. That's why some men bristle at the thought of coming to church and want to break out in highs at the idea of joining a small group. For a lot of men, though, the real reason they struggle making, cultivating, and keeping meaningful friendships goes deeper than that. In reality, many of us as men are deeply afraid. That's the real reason why we don't have any friends. What are we afraid of? For starters, we're afraid of rejection. What if there's another guy I genuinely enjoy being around, I respect, and I want to be friends with, and yet he doesn't seem to care or want to be friends with me? For some of us, that fear of rejection started back in our adolescence with the painful experiences we had on the playground or ball field. This fear is far too embarrassing to say out loud or even admit to ourselves. So we quietly resign ourselves to loneliness because we've reasoned that it's better to be alone than to be rejected. We're often afraid of being exposed. 
What if someone I consider a friend sees something about me that I'm ashamed of and embarrassed by? What if they find out about whatever? This can often be the real reason why many of us as men are comfortable not having any friends or having acquaintances or coworkers that we enjoy being around, but we never really open up to. Isolation feels safe. There's no one there to shame or judge us, no one there to reject us, and no one to cause us to feel inferior or self-conscious. As Paul Simon once famously sang, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. How to be a real friend and find a real friend. So maybe the reason you don't have any real friends is because of your fear of rejection. What do you do about it? The only way to conquer the enemy of rejection and shame in your life is to know, understand, and build your life upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must know in your heart of hearts that you are fully accepted, fully loved, and fully known by God if you are in Christ. In spite of your sin, insecurities, shortcomings, inadequacies, and failures, God accepts, values, and loves you so much that he died in your place. It's not enough to just know that in your head, but never have an experience with that truth in a spiritual sense. The only way we can know this reality is when the Holy Spirit of God brings about revelation. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. If you're struggling with fear of rejection or shame or self-consciousness, Maybe start by asking the Lord to reveal to you the depths of the Father's love for you. Prayer is a good place to start. But if you need and desire real meaningful friendships with other dudes, you've eventually got to get out there and make friends. As weird, awkward, and uncomfortable as it may be at first, there comes a time when you've got to get vulnerable and force yourself to be in environments with other men that you respect and want to spend time around. Relationships that are built on shared value systems are usually the most meaningful. As a follower of Jesus, the closest and most meaningful friendships you will ever form will be with other men who are also disciples of Jesus. That's why church is so incredibly important. There's nothing wrong with making friends with non-Christian guys at your work or at the gym. You should be doing that so you can introduce them to Jesus. It's just that there's only so much you'll have in common with them. If you're in Christ, you've experienced a spiritual rebirth and regeneration. As much as you may be witnessing and sharing Christ with non-Christian friends, if they haven't yet trusted in Jesus, the most important thing about your life will be alien and foreign to them. You need friendships with other men who share your faith. So how do you find that? Go to church. And don't just get there late and leave early. Commit. Make it your church. Plug in. Get there early. Serve. Go to a small group. Get vulnerable and force yourself to be in environments with other men that you respect and want to spend time around. As you commit yourself to a community of believers, over time, you'll start to develop camaraderie and friendships with other men that God places in your path. You might end up on the same serving team with them or in the same small group. 
If there's someone you connect with naturally, respect, and like being around, don't overthink it. Ask them questions about their life and listen. Be a friend first. Personally speaking, I'm a natural introvert. I get my emotional and mental batteries recharged by being by myself. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just how some guys are wired. But because I know that's my natural tendency, I have to be honest with myself and vigilant when I'm slipping into seasons of isolation and loneliness. Often, when I find myself in those places, it's because I've not been intentional about making space for friendships in the everyday rhythms of life. Making space for friendships might look like having a Christian workout partner that you meet up with in the mornings before work. I can't tell you how many deeply meaningful spiritual conversations I've had with other guys on morning runs over the years. Seriously. It might look like you grabbing lunch with that guy from your small group whose office is close to yours every week or so just to hang out and check in. It might mean having a running text thread with the same group of guys that you text every day, like my friends for the past 20 years, Ryan and Gabe. Sometimes we send each other stupid memes, but other times we send prayer requests or pictures of our kids. When we get intentional about making space for friendship and community with other brothers in Christ in the rhythms of everyday life, it gets easier to open up. It still takes guts and intentionality, but it gets less weird and uncomfortable to share our hearts, minds, and struggles when we're sharing with those we're doing life with every day. But it's not just about finding Christian brothers who will be there for you. It's about becoming a brother who will be there for someone else. Finding a Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. I've always wondered what it would have been like to have dinner with the Apostle Paul. I've studied his life and writings for most of my adult life, and in my mind, I have a vague idea of what I think he would have looked like. But I've always wondered, if he and I had dinner together, would he be serious and somber? Encouraging and lighthearted? Would he crack jokes? Tell stories? Chew with his mouth open? As I was studying the book of 1 Corinthians recently, I came across a verse that I think gives a clue as to what Paul might have been like. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you only have one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. 1 Corinthians 4, 15. Paul was like a spiritual dad. So he probably would have been all those things I imagined. Encouraging, lighthearted, serious, somber, a good storyteller a corny joke cracker, an open mouth chewer, and probably so much more. Paul was highly relational with those he preached the good news to. He didn't just teach people about Jesus with his words. He showed them what it looked like to live their life shaped by what Christ had done. We all need a Paul in our life, a spiritual father to mentor, disciple, and model for us what a life of faith looks like. If you found another man more mature in their faith than you and further along in their station of life, take advantage of the opportunity God's given you in putting someone like that in your path. Buy that guy lunch or a coffee or go play a round of golf with him and pick his brain. Ask him questions and listen. Humble yourself and learn from him. But Paul also had friends. He had this one friend named Barnabas. His name literally means son of encouragement. He and Paul spent a lot of time together traveling and doing ministry. They had some tough days that involved suffering, some amazing times of fruitful ministry, 
and probably some funny stories, like that time in the city of Lystra when the people thought Paul was Hermes and Barnabas was Zeus. And like all brothers, they even had moments of intense disagreement. See Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. But ultimately, most biblical scholars agree that these two brothers in Christ remain friends until the end of their lives. And we all need a Barnabas, a spiritual brother we can do life with and walk together through seasons of suffering, victory, pain, and fruitfulness. A spiritual encourager who loves us enough to speak tough truth, even if it causes us to have moments of intense disagreement. We're sharpened and made into better men by the Barnabases God places in our lives. If you find yourself without one, become one to someone else. But also, Paul had spiritual sons. Paul invested a significant amount of time and energy into one of them, Timothy. Paul wrote him at least two epistles of instruction and encouragement. He mentored him, answered his questions, probably corrected his mistakes, and most likely spent hours counseling, listening to, and pouring his life into Timothy. We all need hearts that are open and willing to pour into the Timothys that God may place in our path. Maybe you're wondering how God can use some of the mistakes you've made and the difficult challenges you faced in your story. I found that some of the most painful lessons I've learned through failure can be transformed by God into learning opportunities for the younger men God puts in my life. Not only that, but some of the most fulfilling relationships God has blessed me with has been with younger men I've had the privilege to disciple. The freedom of being known, loved, and valued. Even if loneliness, isolation, and individualism feel safe and even masculine over time, those things can become our prison. We can become prisoners trapped in our own thoughts, emotions, vices, and darkness without the light of another companion or guide to help us sort through and make sense of them. There is great freedom and relief in having someone else see the innermost depths of our being, our insecurities, inconsistencies, failures, shame, and heartaches, and still choosing to love and value us, regardless of what they see. It's not good for any man to be alone. So let us consider how to help one another to show love and do good, not neglecting meeting with others face-to-face, as some have the habit of doing. But let's be more intentional about encouraging one another in Christ all the more, even as the day of Christ's return draws near. So my guests today are two guys I know very well, my good friends, Ryan and Gabe. So, uh, fellas, introduce yourselves. Tell us a little about you guys. Who wants to go first? Paper, rock, scissors or something? Gabe, you can go first. Mm. My name is Gabe, and I met Josh in 2003. Southeastern. Good Lord. Yeah. It's almost 20 years ago. <laughs> right? 20 years ago? Almost 30 years ago. Yeah. No, I don't even know. <laughs> We're I'm both good. 79 years old. My name is Gabe. I'm good with math. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the co-host of the Beards and Bible podcast. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm married 
to Stacy. For those who don't listen to that podcast, Stacy's been my wife for 15 years, and we have three rascally boys, Noah, Elijah, and Micah. And uh, I live in southern Alabama. And that's about it. That's my life in a nutshell. Yeah. Ryan's turn. Yeah. No, it's me. How about you, Fred? Well, it's you. Ryan. I also met Josh at Southeastern. Uh, I thought he was 30, and apparently I'm three years old. I don't know. What do you want to know? I'm married to uh, Connie. Nobody knows her, but I met her at Southeastern, too. We also have three kids. And uh, unfortunately, we live in Delaware, so that's all you're going to get. Hey, but people do know Connie because we were in a band, Gabe and... I and Connie were all in the Callahans together. So who knows? Maybe there's some random Callahans fans out there listening to this. So I don't know. Yeah, one could hope. Yeah. So um, I don't actually know the answer to this question. I was typing this up today. Um, How did we all meet? I know we all met our freshman year at Southeastern when I was 17, Gabe was 18, Ryan was 20. But like... Who met who first? I'm trying to remember the story. Do you guys remember? Gabe, didn't I jump in a car with you or something? Looking for a job. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Something like that. And I, I think, I think, I think our friend Brent Lutz was a catalyst for all of us meeting to a certain extent as well, because he was a very mm-hmm. outgoing, uh, never met a stranger kind of guy, larger than life. And I think he kind of like connected us to get all together. And he had like a little Toyota Celica. And, yeah. and one time he, he had to run down to the, the Publix, which is a grocery store about a mile away. And um, we all just happened to hop in the car together or something. I don't know. And I remember I peeled off and went to the subway and landed a job on the spot, which ended up being they were trying to set me up for robbery and come find out. And that's why they gave me the job. But that's a whole other story. And then, um, yeah, I think we just I think we just hit it off. And it was just uh uh, I don't know. The rest is history. We would just sit out on the fountain in between the the dorm rooms there and uh, play our emo music and cover yes. punk rock songs on acoustic guitar and woo all the women who um, mm. were way out of our league using our musical abilities. Yes. Well, it, it worked for you guys, apparently, because you guys both found your, your wives there at Southeastern. Well, but not this just, just so we're clear, I have no musical abilities, but I did enjoy with you guys while you displayed your musical abilities <laughs> you had amazing air guitar abilities because <laughs> i remember you guys used to play air guitar in ryan's room squad five one squad oh, yeah. five one i believe i yeah. believe there were several pilgrimages that were made going up to the guitar center where there was actually like a, a band that was put together that would only play shows at the guitar center right squad five was that one. squad was that squad, squad five one okay so five yeah one. you guys would go up there and, yeah <laughs> We'd get kicked out of the guitar center weekly. Mm. Yeah, man. So Ryan and I ended up living together for a year and a half. <clears throat> that was our entire sophomore year. And then the first part of our junior year. And then Gabe, you and Ryan got an apartment off campus. Um, was that you guys junior and senior year? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think we definitely roomed together in an apartment junior year at remember martin's landing yes and it had that lake yeah 
that was that was good times. We used to uh, take the rubber wraps out there and try and get across yeah. to Josh's apartment. And remember, uh, remember Terry, who was from Live Oak, Florida. He lived he lived a couple doors down from us. Yeah, yeah. He always now if you're if you're listening to this and you don't know what Terry is is like, every Florida apartment complex has a Terry, mm-hmm. some dude that probably grew up chasing gators and living on the swamp and and you guys apartment complex had that yeah i just remember was he was never so sober and he never wore a shirt and it was just like the back his his skin on his back was just like it was just like leather like tanned leather <laughs> so it's it's incredible other, i thought he was probably in his 50s or 60s but in real life he was probably like 35 mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he was younger he than was us. 19 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh man so yeah, so uh, we were all three at each other's weddings, I think. Is that right? Uh, Gabe decided to go do the army right before. Me. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think <laughs> I dipped, was, I think I dipped out on Ryan's wedding. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which I Ryan did. got married in the middle of of the summer, and uh, it was blazing hot in the middle of July in two thousand seven. I think it was. Yeah, right? 2007. It was the end of June, but I remember Gabe and Stacy. You guys did come up to uh, say goodbye to me before you left, and I was working for Southeastern, cleaning a PTAC unit in the middle of the uh, parking lot. I remember that because it was really hot. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Man, it's good times. Because Gabe, you got married that spring, right? You and Stacy got married in spring of yeah. two thousand seven. Yeah, spring of two thousand seven, we got married. Yeah, and you guys were both in my wedding. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then you guys were both in my wedding, which was much later, probably four years after that. It's twenty eleven. But uh, twenty eleven, the year of the cicadas. Yep, good way to remember. Mm. Yes, lots and lots of cicadas. But uh, <laughs> Ryan's, Ryan's phone fell, so man down. Uh, man, well, we've tried to do our best to stay in touch over the years and uh, try to maintain friendship with each other. Um, but man, I, I think one of the things that I've noticed, and you guys have probably noticed this too, is that as you grow up, as you get a job, as you have kids, as you take on responsibilities as a guy, it just gets harder and harder to have those friendships that we used to have when we were in college and we were young guys. I mean, I feel like we've done as best a job as we could. I'd love to see you guys in person more often, but staying in touch as much as we can. But um, I mean, have you guys seen that? Is it hard to maintain friendships with other guys as you get into adulthood? It just gets harder or just different. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I'll just say real quick. Well, I'll say real quick um, that, yeah, it's like, there, there is an era and a window in your life. And I think it's especially just after moving out of your parents' house for the first time and gaining independence and you're kind of like 19, 20 years old, you know, there's that era in your life where um, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm living alone now. I'm, I'm out from under my parents' roof. And, uh, and then the people that you associated with is very formational time in your life. So that, you know, the people that you associate with during that time in your life, um, I think, I think there's a special bond that forms that cannot be maybe apart from like, um, fighting in war together or, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's just a special time in your life right there in that little window. Um, especially in college. I remember my dad saying that he's like the people that you're about to meet 
and and grow close with are probably going to trump the people in the friendships that you had from high school and i was like what no that's impossible yeah, yeah for sure and it absolutely did sadly you know i wish i kept up with more people from high school but i just don't do a good job of that but what were you going to say ryan oh, i was just going to say kind of same along the lines you're saying when you're younger it seems you're making friends left and right making those relationships and I don't know. For me, I'm like, this will never end. This is great. And then like you say, Josh, uh, you get older, you get a job, you have kids. And um, I think one thing for me personally that I've been lucky with, though, is where I'm from is such a small knit thing. And I went to uh, I went to a private school that didn't have very many kids. And uh, I mean, some of my best friends to this day are actually kids I've known since I've been six, seven years old. So. Oh, nice. But That's amazing. I, I don't do very well making friends, new friends anymore, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, our wives in general just do a better job making and maintaining friendships. Uh, I found that women tend to be, um, just a lot better at that than us guys. Um, have you guys noticed that? Like, is that easy for, it seems like it's easy for your wives. And then for you, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't really know about that. I don't know how to, make a friend or I don't even know if I want to make a friend. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, the church we've been going to for a few years now, uh, Connie's been way better at me about keeping up with it. Uh, she's like involved at children's, uh, she works in a nursery. She does all the small groups, goes out on like all the trips. I tried to, and I don't know. I, it's, <laughs> I just get to a point where I'm like, it's bad, but yeah, she, she has, she, does a much better job and has it. It's a lot easier for her. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Let's psychoanalyze you. Let's uh, talk about because I'm an <laughs> introvert. I don't know. <laughs> Games have been that way for you, man. Like Stacy's a lot better at it or finds it easier or, or what have you found? I think, yeah, I think women in general are maybe better at it. Well, ah, uh, that's tough. Because sometimes you see women that that will pretend to be friends, and they're really they're really nasty to about each other to be on their really yeah, back. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. really I don't know, but I think I think men uh, maybe struggle with it because I think we number one we're we're largely unemotional beings, and um, part of connecting and building lasting friendships is like vulnerability, and just saying that word makes me kind of throw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> so. When you have men who are unemotional, by and large, um, and guarded, uh, you know that it doesn't it doesn't really set the stage for that vulnerability that needs to happen in order for there yeah. to be a, a good, deep, lasting friendship. And also, I think I think men, you know, just naturally and instinctually, we look at other men and determine, maybe subconsciously to a certain extent, who's the alpha. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you're not looking like at a, at another man and saying like, "Who, you know, oh, this guy is going to be my next fishing buddy or something." Like you, you kind of look at a man and immediately default sometimes to like the, a competition, and that's right, really right, unfortunate. Right. And you know, I think some of that um, is is bred into us or at least like programmed into us through through social programming and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, I think those those two factors combined make it difficult. Yeah, it, it kind of makes me think back on what we talked about, like how we, when we all met. Like when we all met, we were all like kids that 
like we're awkward and figuring out ourselves and figuring out, you know, this crazy thing called girls that we thought we, you know, knew a whole lot more about than we actually did. And, and so it's almost like you have that forced vulnerability when you're in an environment like college, because everybody is insecure, everybody's figuring it out. And so like we, we got close because we had that vulnerability and we really didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Right. And so guys that <clears throat> maybe go to war together or, we're in a close environment in college together or, you know, um, just went through a life season where that was just sort of the environment you're in. It's there, but then you get married, you have your kids, you get your job, you get your routine, you get your house, you get the things that you enjoy and the things that you don't enjoy. And it's kind of like, yeah, I've got my bubble. I don't know if I want to step outside the bubble and let anybody else in. Mm. And so it's kind of hard to say, okay, I think I want to get vulnerable with another guy and <laughs> I don't really have to. So why would I, you know, that sounds so dirty. Like get vulnerable with another guy. I think too, like the older we get, the more set we become in our ways and in our ideo- yeah. ideologies. And so like, you're talking like things like faith and how theology, if you're a person of faith, um, politics, sports, your career. And so as we pigeonhole ourselves into those various, um, facets of our life it's we look for friends that are going to mesh and align and be compatible with those different facets of our life but i think early in your life when you're 18 19 years old you're just like you're just you're just thinking about taco bell and like cute chicks right and so you're not thinking about (laughs) you're not you're not thinking about like what political party do i align with or you know what's my 401k look like or anything like that so we're a lot more flexible in our and our, our approach to, to other people, I think, too. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, what were you going to say? Oh, I don't know. I was just going to say I agree, basically. I, I mean, <laughs> you're, what, what, I guess, like, uh, for me, it's more uh, just a personal reaction to just what Gabe said, just, you know, pigeonholing yourself into things. And I, I live in an area where uh, the majority of people around me have very different worldviews than I do. And so... It, it is easy to uh, kind of just back off, back away from everything, just retreat into the few people that you're comfortable with and just, all right, I'm good with this. I don't, I don't need to worry about anything else, branch out or even attempt. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I guess as you get older, it's just maybe we need to fight against that, but I haven't been doing the greatest of job. Hmm. Well, really Ryan, what this is, is an intervention. We're not actually recording. It's just <laughs> Gabe and I. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> Uh, your wife, your wife was the one who called us and she was really worried about not just kidding. Uh, Hey, so like, have either of you guys been through seasons when you've been like legit isolated and like, it's not Mm. just, Hey, I've got a small group of friends that I hang out with and confide in. You've been the season where you were like, man, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anybody. And I had my wife maybe. And then that was it. Hmm. Um, I, I tend to self isolate myself, um, because, uh, especially being in a, in a pastoral ministry type position, you tend to grow skeptical of people. You tend to grow untrusting of people because of some wounds that you've been dealt or betrayals that you've had to walk through. And I'm sure Josh, you've experienced that. And it's like, Sometimes you're like, man, it's kind of nice if it's just me and my wife because I can trust her. 
and I'm insulated from anything else out there. And I can be like surface level friends with other guys or other people that come in and out of contact with us. But, um, yeah, I, I think, I think I just tend to default to want that sometimes, but I have to stretch myself and force myself to, to go beyond that and realize that, um, other guys are just as desperate sometimes for real genuine friendships. Like tomorrow, I'm, I, I went out of my way to set up a lunch at Waffle House with a friend of mine. And it's like, you know, I, I default to, well, I'd, I'd rather just sit in my car with the AC on and eat my lunch, you know? And like, that's just yeah. easy for me to listen to the radio and just do that. But it's like, really, um, true joy and fulfillment comes through like deep social interactions and relationships with other humans. And it's difficult for me to stretch myself to do that, but I have to remember to always grow that and tend to those different relationships and be proactive to, to create environments where, where I'm doing that. And, um, so it's, it's, I think it comes more natural for people than others, but yeah. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? You ever been through a season where you felt just like completely isolated? I don't know if I've ever felt completely isolated. Uh, more along the lines of what Gabe said, I, I tend to want to isolate myself and, uh, mm-hmm. I have to check my, that, um, you know, I'm not a pastor or anything like that. So I don't have people always trying to interact with me or anything like that. So, um, I, I have to make an effort. It, it's like, I think I'm very lucky and blessed that I've had friends who have, for whatever reason, just made an effort to make sure, you know, to keep talking to me. Uh, I mean, my best friend here at home, you know, great dude, Steve, love you. Uh, <laughs> hey, Steve. Um, you know, I, I, I think as men, if, if, if you can just have, you know, I, I know like you wrote and it's true, we, we'd rather hang out in groups and this and that, but it is good to just have that one really good core friendship that kind of grounds you and you guys can grow. Absolutely. Talk about things that are going through, going on in your life. We both are kind of in very similar paths on our lives right now. So I guess, yeah, I don't know. Isolation, unless it's been self-imposed. No, not really. Yeah. Yeah, so speaking of Steve, <clears throat> Steve got my number when we were in college, and uh, I never had met Steve, and yet we would text all the time back and forth. And so um, he's kept my number all this time, so 20 years. And I think I've hung out with Steve maybe like four or five times Ex- in 20 years. Extrovert, however you say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's very much extroverted. But anyway, we text all the time, and <laughs> I don't really... I don't really know him like super well, but like we still text all the time. And every now and again, he'll send me pictures of myself that he's held on to for 20 years. <laughs> he plays the long game, man. He got embarrassing photos of me from 20 years ago. And every now and again, he'll just shoot them over and be like, hey, I still got this. I'm like, okay, thanks for that. So, go. Yeah, that's great. So like <clears throat> real friendship right now in this season of life probably doesn't look like piling in an old Toyota Celica at <clears throat> Eleven thirty at night and running to Taco Bell, or staying up all night watching uh, Star Wars and waiting for a Hurricane, which we did that once. Um, and then the next morning, the hurricane hit, and Gabe ran outside in the hurricane and invited us to run in the hurricane as well, which was probably not the wisest choice. Looking back, a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. You remember that, Gabe? I do. Yeah. 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 We almost died thanks to you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, now 
kind of nearing the uh, threshold of middle age. Friendship just looks different. So, um, like, how do you guys maintain that friendship in the season of life that you're in? And how can you make space for it? Dave, you mentioned being intentional. Mm-hmm. But what else does that look like besides just forcing yourself at times when you don't feel like doing it to maintain space in your life for friendship? Yeah, well, I think one of the most isolating positions you can be in is a, is a middle-aged or close-to-it-aged uh, husband and father. Because, um, you know, having another guy friend, you can just kind of loosen up a little bit more and be yourself more than, than you can be around, you know, your family even in just different ways. And I'm not saying that like, you're going to put that friend over, you know, your wife or above relationship you have with your wife. But yeah, I think just being intentional means like, uh, just, you know, you, you find a guy who just seems like a sincere guy, like a genuine human being, and you might not align on all those things. You might not have a whole lot in common, but it's, um, it's saying, Hey, uh, what are you doing next week? You want to go grab lunch somewhere? Like, you know, and then it's being intentional about like, as you're conversing with one another. And I, I liked, I like being active when I'm hanging out with another guy because, um, you know, if it's like sitting around a fire or if it's throwing darts or running, even, you know, it's like we get, we can converse while we're doing that. And I think that kind so of, it doesn't feel like you're on a mandate or something weird. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, it kind of eases the, the awkwardness. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So I like doing that, but, um, yeah. And just finding areas of commonality, but then also, um, I mean, just really like get like having a genuine concern for that human being that, that other guy and just, and just showing that concern and being like, Hey, I enjoyed doing this. Let's do it again sometime, you know, or like, Hey, do you need any help around your house? Or, um, you know, do you want to go out and watch a ball game somewhere like up away from our houses and, and, um, you know, just, just being there as a support, uh, physical and spiritual support for that, for that guy. And, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ryan, you and Steve hang out all the time together. That's something I see on your Facebook that you guys are hanging out with your families and stuff. How, who initiates that? Is that your wives or is that you guys? Is it just sort of a, a given you guys are hanging out every weekend or what? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think my, it's my wife and uh, Steve's wife have actually become like best friends so it's easy to get together and do that but i don't know i guess the um you say like being intentional about hanging out and things like that uh i know for like us and a couple other guys we know up here uh disc golf is just something like we've been doing since we were teenagers and it's nice you're out in the woods you're just talking walking around and uh you know we we went out just this past weekend and it's it's true if you're out just not you know you're just out there hanging out and you're doing stuff and it starts out jokes laughter funniness but then like by the end of it you know you're talking about you know your kids and you know how can i be a better father here what am i doing here you know things like that so um it makes it easier to have like yeah. a deep conversation and actually open up when like gabe said you're it's you have something else to fill the space you're not just sitting with each other on the couch talking i don't want to do (laughs) (laughs) holding hands you lit a candle smooth jazz yeah so but like you know again using a personal here like we do try and make an effort to get out we'd like to get out every weekend but at least every other weekend or something and just play like around the disc golf or you know 
I have a creek in the backyard. Have your kids come over. They'll play in the creek and like we'll hang out. Uh, things like yeah. that. So it's just kind of how we've kept things going, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So um, if a guy wants to grow as a man, so he wants to become a better father, he wants to become a better follower of Christ, he wants to just be better all around, like how can he start to open up to another guy and just like initiate that conversation without making it super weird? Um, does he just have to go for it and just kind of be like, Hey, cool. Nice shot at the disc golf course. But Hey, speaking of which, well, I'll tell you, I'm really struggling. Um, Steve, which, you know, it's not something we've always talked about. Like we both grew up in Christian homes. We went to a Christian private school together, but, uh, just this past year, um, you know, he approached me and a couple other guys and was like, hey, I downloaded an app just to have a, a daily devotion every day of the year. Let's all download it and just try and read that. And then when we get together, if we want to talk about one we liked, we can. If not, that's fine, too. So, uh, you know, just I don't know. I, I think I'm in a little bit of a different awesome. position than you guys. You know, just kind of I'm not really a pastor or anything, but just I guess for us, that's something we've been trying to do to keep keep each other accountable, if that makes sense. That's awesome, man. Yeah, well, hey, and most people listening to this are not pastors, and that's a super easy thing to do to weave into friendships without making it super weird. Like, hey, we all do the devotion, and then we hang out and we talk about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Gabe, Gabe what about you, man? What what, uh, what could a guy do that wants to get better and wants to start initiating those conversations with their guys? Um, well, I think it's important that you uh it sounds sounds kind of cliche but you find you find a role model and a hero that you look up to and you say dude this guy's got you know character and he might be like 10 15 years older than you or 20 years older than you and it's someone who you subconsciously look at as almost like a father figure he's strong in his faith he's strong physically um he's he's proven over time like character and integrity and um, one of the things I always hang on is like James one twenty seven religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, um, t- to look after orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So in other words, that James is just saying that if you can do that, you're good to go. Like that's that's the religion that is pure and faultless, is to look out for widows, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that doesn't mean you know within that sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves like. You know, you got to memorize uh, this chapter of the Bible, or know how to defend your faith this way, or or um, attend church this many times per month and stuff. And, and that's all that's all like made up stuff. I mean, that's good. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But like James just says, if you can keep yourself from being polluted by the world, and then look after orphans and widows in their distress, like you're doing really good. And so one mm-hmm. of the things we do, and I just was actually in a big group chat text thing with a bunch of guys, is um, we 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 have several widows that attend our congregation and, and sometimes they're in distress. Sometimes they need help. And we have one that, um, you know, she, she needs a lot of work around her house. And so we have about um, 15 guys that have variety of different skill sets, variety of different tools, you know, like physical tools. And so we'll go out and we'll spend like four hours at a widow's home working on their property, doing odds and end jobs and stuff and beautifying their house. And it's a really good bonding experience because we're all active, we're all doing things that, that James says is pure religion and, and is faultless and we're all building each other up. And then maybe we'll go grab lunch afterwards together as many of us as can. And um, yeah. And so those, those, those older guys in the faith are, 
are kind of inspiring those younger guys in the faith that look, this is, this is what's cool in the kingdom. This is what is, is perfect religion in the kingdom of God. Just do this, you know? And it's simple. Yeah. It's simple. It takes your physical strength with guys, which, you know, guys are all about. And, and it's, and it's simple, um, but it's defending those who are in distress. Yeah. I think one of the surprises that I've found being a pastor is um, I was not prepared to create and maintain the kind of close friendships I have with guys, my dad's age. Mm. I just wasn't, just wasn't expecting that. Like Mm -hmm. most of the friendships I had before I really started diving into ministry within the church, it was all guys, you know, my age, like you guys. And so then I started really doing this thing called church and I found that there were some guys that were 20, 30 years older than me that I just really connected with Mm. and have formed really awesome friendships with. So I think so many guys listening to this may be intimidated by that and maybe thinking like, man, I didn't have a dad growing up, didn't have a good role model. I don't have any sort of a mentor. And why would an older guy take any interest in me and want to be my friend? But um, sometimes you just don't know until you get in environments like that where you're around older guys, mm-hmm. like in a small group or in a service project together, or, you know, even somebody you respect on your, on your job site or in your church. And, it's amazing, like those those friendships, how they can sharpen us. So, um, so last questions. If there's a guy listening right now that's like, man, I'm in my 30s, 40s, 50s, and to be honest, I don't have any guy friends. I people I work with, I've got my wife, I've got my kids, but I don't really have any real guy friends that I can call on. Um, what would you say to a guy like that? Is it too late for him? And how can he start making friends? Yes, it's too late for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to be you, buddy. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think a good starting point. I mean, I think I think having faith in common is is probably the biggest um, factor. It, it, you know, I think you can obviously you can be friends with people outside your faith, but in terms of like having deep, lasting friendships, having someone of faith is is just a, immediately like a great starting point. And one of the best places to to find such a friend would be at a place where people of faith come to gather together, right? So, um, yeah. doing doing something like a men's breakfast or a men's service project or men's this or men's that, it's so hard to break into that and break the ice and get into the something new. There's sure. a bunch of new guys, um, but if if the church is creating that and facilitating that environment in that meeting, then it tells you right away that that's a church that is open to more men and desires more men there. And so they're pretty, probably a pretty open group of guys. Um, so that's where I would start personally. Yeah. You know, men love breakfast. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. we just do. It's the most important meal of the day, of course. So if you want it, it's there most of the time. And the best place to look for it is in the body of Christ, but somebody's just got to take that first step and get over the awkwardness and just go, ah, I need friends. Will you be my friend? <laughs> which is friends probably the most awkward way forever. to initiate that. Oh, man. Well, appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for hopping on with me. Always good to see you guys' faces. So you can't see this if you're listening to this, but Ryan looks like he's dressed up to uh, Rob McCulley Culkin's house right now. He's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Committed Masculinity Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want more, head over to Amazon and pick up your copy of the book, Committed, Biblical Masculinity. Please give this podcast a share, leave us a review, and tune in next time. Thanks again for listening.